Homo Passions, Man the Footballer, is the latest addition to our online bookshop. Homo Passions provides a radical and entertaining hypothesis, grounded by principles drawn from the evolutionary and cultural history of mankind, that humans evolved by pedalism, that's walking in two legs, for the purpose of playing football. It makes sense, doesn't it? Preview the first four sections and order your copy of Homo Passions, Man the Footballer today. Just find the relevant link in the podcast description. From the pages of the Blizzard, the Football Quarterly. A look through the archives where we bring you some of our favourite articles to have appeared in the magazine since we first began in 2011. In episode 135, we feature Diplomatic Manoeuvres by Luke Connolly, first published in the Score Ground in September 2020. There is no question that the 2014 World Cup was both a financial and a PR disaster for Brazil. In a country in which an enormous proportion of people live in abject property, public spending to host the tournament was double initial forecasts, and what did they have to show for it? The protests were plentiful, and in many ways justified. The hosting of the tournament coincided with the onset of recession in Brazil, and two years later they were due to host the 2016 Olympics. Political dissatisfaction grew as quickly as the escalating construction costs and the Brazilian economy is yet to recover from the fallout of the ongoing recession. The political transformation was also unprecedented. Out went the left-wing Workers' Party, following Dilma Rousseff's impeachment, and in came the reactionary, right-wing government of Jair Bolsonaro. Fast forward four years and the greatest show on earth swapped Copacabana for the Kremlin. All in all, Russia was a fairly obvious choice. Under Soviet rule, Moscow had hosted the 1980 Olympics, and more recently Sochi had hosted the 2014 Winter Olympics, yet, despite an extensive footballing history, Russia had never staged the World Cup. In many ways, a Russian World Cup was just what the doctor ordered for FIFA's public image. This may sound bizarre, given the country's highly questionable human rights record and attitudes towards homosexuality and ethnic minorities, but the damage to the prestige of hosting a World Cup following the protests in Brazil, has been long-lasting and significant. Attention had been drawn to the vast sums of public money required to host the event, and even economists in the wealthiest nations would argue that such sums would be better spent elsewhere. In Russia, however, FIFA could be fairly confident that such protests would be quickly suppressed, should they even take place. Russia has taken a very different political route to most major states. From the Tsars to the Soviet era, to the premierships of Yeltsin, Putin, Putin's puppet Medvedev, and then Putin again, there has never been a voter-led democracy. Russia's hosting of the 2018 World Cup is a classic example of a state exerting soft power via the medium of an international sports tournament. And there are plenty of examples. In Soconomics, Simon Cooper and Stefan Siminski argue that if playing in a tournament creates social cohesion, hosting one creates even more. In Putin's Russia, this is social cohesion crafted entirely in the state's image. The stadiums constructed for the World Cup are enormous concrete reminders of the government's involvement in funding and developing cities across the Federation. 
The reality is that this funding comes straight from public coffers for little obvious financial benefit. The notion that a football ground increases the number of tourists to a city in the long term is spurious. Take FC Sochi for instance. The club was founded in 2018 following the 2000 mile relocation of Dinamo St. Petersburg under the ownership of the oligarch Boris Rotenberg, a long-time friend and close confidant of Vladimir Putin. Are FC Sochi's attendances likely to increase as a result of a new ground? Sochi's average attendance of the 2019-20 Premier Division season was just over 9,000. It's a notable increase in the previous year, prior to their promotion, but still leaves some 35,000-plus empty seats. Similarly in the second tier, FC Nizhny Novgorod averaged just under 7,000 in their 45,000 all-seater stadium, and Baltica Kalingrad's average attendance of just over 6,000 was under 20% of capacity. The increased rent could make operations economically impossible. You only have to look at Kaiser Klausen's recent financial demise for that. Trapped in a stadium that they struggle to fill and struggle to pay for, they have struggled to make ends meet and are staring into the black hole of financial oblivion. The reality is that the spectacle drives attendances, not necessarily the venue. Under Solomon Karimov's ownership, Angie MacHatchelar drew new crowds by assembling a successful and incredibly expensive playing squad, though this naturally had its own financial complications. There's no denying that Sochi's Fished Stadium is very impressive from an architectural point of view. It's designed to replicate the Caucasus Mountains, and courtesy of its open bowl shape, offers views of the mountains to the north and Black Sea to the south. The work done in designing and constructing a structure that both matches and enhances the Sochi skyline is exemplary. Fundamentally though, it represents a looming structural personification of Putinist domestic policy and the inherent cronyism present in Russian politics. Above all, being close to the regime pays dividends. Rosenberg, through his friendship with Putin, has been able to secure construction projects in Sochi that were worth in the region of 5 billion euros in the build-up to the 2014 Winter Olympics. Following the World Cup, his FC Sochi side now have a brand new state-of-the-art stadium. In many ways, this sort of infrastructure development is a microcosm of Putin's ongoing aim of dissipating economic centralisation from Moscow and across his vast transcontinental empire. Previously, Putin's reach into provincial football came through his political alliances with club presidents, with Rotenberg being just one example. Karimov has represented the Republic of Dagestan in the Federal Assembly for over a decade, and did so prior to his ownership of Angie Makhachala. Ramzan Kadyrov, head of the Chechen Republic and a key political ally of Putin in the region, has found himself owner of Akhmat Grozny. Furthermore, since the fall of the Iron Curtain, emerging sides with no connection to the Soviet past have been encouraged by the regime and though FC Moscow were formed and quickly fell away, this has continued in recent years. In this respect, the former Supreme League heavyweights of Lokomotiv, Spartak, CSKA or Dynamo hark back to the Soviet era and the now ailing or defunct Cuban Krasnodar and Angie Makhachalar were almost problematic for the league's image, in the eyes of the RFU, given their separatist associations. Hence the emergence of FC Sochi, Baltica Kalingrad, Ural Yekaterinburg 
and FC Nizhny Novgorod are encouraged as they symbolised an evolving, albeit somewhat manufactured, footballing scene in Russia. Hosting the World Cup has provided the perfect cover for public money to be spent on improving infrastructure without scrutiny. The aim was not only to provide a stimulus of growth for cities across Russia and for their respective teams, but to also extend approval for Putin's regime as far beyond Moscow as possible. It's a bizarre transition for the dynamic of Russian football from the Moscow-centric attitude of the Soviet era. The aim is to encourage a distinct split from the past, but a continuation of the state's interests being represented and furthered by the national game. The state hopes that the stadiums will represent a modernising and burgeoning economic power to the world. It's interesting that none of Grozny Krasnodar, Makhachala nor Sevastopol were host cities at the 2018 World Cup, despite their footballing tradition and, in the case of Grozny and Krasnodar, the existence of modern stadiums. The state continues to grapple for control in these regions, all of which have presented difficulties for Russia given their separatist associations. As regards to Sevastopol, Russia courted enough bad press from Europe for building a bridge to the Crimea. Imagine the backlash of hosting a game there. Ultimately, governmental involvement in football is nothing new, particularly where dictatorships are concerned, but Putin's approach is markedly different. While Recep Erdogan's affiliation with Istanbul Basak Shir is well documented, and FC Astana have the backing from the Nazarbayev regime in Kazakhstan, Putin has spread his backing via associates across a huge geographical area and a number of cities. The scale of this project is phenomenal. Dictators have used football clubs to promote an image of adherence to a regime for decades. They've hosted World Cups and international tournaments to justify economic projects and political rhetoric for just as long. The difference here is the scale. The legacy of Putin's World Cup is one with long-lasting, ideological and national identity-focused consequences. You can forget the architectural details, the games they hosted, and the clubs they now call home. These stadiums represent one thing. Putin's Russia. By merely existing, they justify an increasingly megalomaniacal and democratically deficient Russian state. They're stationary concrete state sentinels, perforating skylines across the Caucasus and Volga. If you enjoyed this, then make sure you subscribe and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also, follow us on Twitter at Blizzard. That's at B-L-Z-Z-R-D. That's the best place to keep up to date with all things Blizzard between each issue. Thanks for listening and farewell. If only there was a way to immortalise football's greatest games, goals and moments with some incredible artwork for that blank space in your wall. We've partnered with The Goal Hanger to help you do just that. Choose from one of our own picks like the 2005 Champions League final in Istanbul or the 2000 European Championship final or request your own favourite goal of all time. Discover more and order your prints from just £30. Just head to the relevant link in the podcast description.